Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. That young oh, lady. No. Can we okay, talk wait. about the goat first? <laughs> and I'm recording. I think your fans want to know. Um, yeah. We're gonna t- you want to talk about the goat attack? This is, has nothing to do with journalism, but... This, we have to have the visual, though. If you have to have the, like, you might not want to see this picture if yeah, it comes on. So. What, what, it would be a better story. Yeah. Are we really going to do a goat? It would, be a, it would be a better story if she actually had been, like, out on an assignment and got attacked oh, by a goat. That Wouldn't that be great? great? But, I, I mean, I have a lot of goat background. We could do a goat episode. Well, give, episode. Us, give us the abstract. What happened with the goat? Okay, we have to know, first of all, that I've been obsessed with goats since I was a little kid. And I've always, always wanted a pet goat. But I've always lived somewhere where you couldn't have pet goats. So when my sister moved to Vermont last year, she lived in Miami. And she moved from Miami to Vermont and decided to become, like, you know, this country girl person. And she got 26 acres and two goats. And my nieces are 11 and 5, so this is their first pet. They had pet goats. So for almost a year, I'd been like, I can't wait to meet the goats. I can't wait to come see the goats. She's like, the kids, the house. I'm like, no, I want to see the goats. So for her birthday, for July 4th, she was turning 50. So I went to Vermont to meet the goats and see her and the kids. But I barely got out of the car. I mean, I left my suitcase in the car. My little niece, who's 11, is like, come see my treehouse. And so we're like running up the hill to see the treehouse. And all of a sudden, from behind, bam! I was like, what the fuck just hit me? And it was this little pygmy goat named Gabby, this little black and white pygmy goat whose horns had just come in. And I don't know if the goat was mad that I was with her person, who was my niece, or if the goat was like, who's this intruder running up the hill, or if the goat was just like getting horny yayas off. But it knocked me from behind so hard I almost fell over. Horny I got- yayas off. <laughs> It was a little goat, too. It did not look ferocious. But the one horn punctured my back on my left leg, and the other horn cut my right leg almost eight inches down. It went in an inch deep. It was an inch it's wide. Nasty. It's It was the most awful wound ever. And my sister's like 45 minutes away from the nearest like medical center, so my two nieces are screaming. I'm trying to hold my leg together and not like faint looking at it. And my sister drives me down the hill, and I got 20 stitches in my leg, like seven inside and 13 on the outside, and then... I was like, okay, I have a good story. And I said to the doctor, like, is this the worst goat wound you've ever seen? And he was like, oh, hell no. But we can't talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) So today I got my stitches out, but the goat wound lingers. God, I didn't even know goats would attack (laughs) when goats attack. This is why I don't do nature. This is exactly why. (laughs) I never even got to hug the damn goat. I wanted to hug it, play with it, feed a carrot. They put it in goat jail and it was done. (laughs) They didn't kill the goat, right? They, no, no, my mom thought they should turn it into, like, goat's head soup or something that's like what, that. But that's what Kevin said. Did she have him for dinner? No. <laughs> well, this episode, gored by a goat. goat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. All right. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. 
It's obviously a great pleasure to edit Lane's work. She's a terrific reporter who knows how to collect intimate details and find the heart of a story, and then she can write so beautifully. But it hasn't always been that way. Today's topic, Young Lane. Lane is a really good sport. <laughs> she's letting us. I'm bearing it all, man. <laughs> she's letting us go back to the beginning. So we're going back to the Rockville High School rampage and the early work of Lane Thomason. So let me let me dazzle you all with some of this, okay? Um, <laughs> this the, the headline writing was good too. MSEC gives report on study. Okay. Completing its review of RHS December 7th, the Middle States Evaluation Committee, MSEC, left after giving the faculty a preliminary report, which cited commendations and recommendations for the school. You, too, can write like Lane to Gregory. Our job, says MSEC chairperson Dr. Joseph Skakalowski, sorry, is to make sure RHS is doing what it says it is by reviewing the self-study and to point out areas that are not as it perceives itself. That's a quote. To accomplish these objectives, the MSEC, comprised of 23 educators from throughout the East Coast, visited RHS for three days, talking to students and staff, sitting in on classes, reviewing programs, and reading the self-study. So, Lane, what do you think when you hear that, when you hear your words come back to you? I'm surprised I still have a job in this business. <laughs> I take small pleasure that the quote was as bad as the storytelling. I was, you know? There's a tremendous use of quotes in these clips, and there's a lot of great jargon. Yes, all through, scattered throughout. So yes, and and all kind of anacron, you know, letters and ac- right. acronyms and stuff like that. Right. Um, so yeah, what do you think when you hear that? Like, do you feel like that was a lifetime ago? Oh, it was definitely a lifetime ago. And I knew I wasn't good. You know, I wasn't pretending or thinking. I was just like, please, please don't let me get it wrong. Really? Because I thought in high school, I thought, wow, I can put two sentences together pretty well. You didn't think you were like, you know, I I I thought you were a better writer than like the other kid in your English class. Well, I was. I could write papers and I could write, you know, little fictional stories. But I was terrified of like getting something wrong with this all this important information about this peer review committee that was coming to analyze my high school. I don't even know what they were doing. I couldn't even tell from that. But That would be the MSEC. (laughs) It was definitely one of those, like, this is a really important story, and you're a grown-up now, so you need to get this right, you know? And I think even then I was looking for, like... um, I don't think I was thinking of voice of like what's the voice of the story, but I was trying to tell the story in the voice of the important person who I was supposed to be writing about. So if I'm writing about a jargon-headed bureaucrat person, it's not surprising to me that it came across as a jargon-headed bureaucratic person, mm-hmm. you know. But I wish someone had been able to say to me at that point in time, like, what is this story really about, you know? Because mm-hmm. I think they just handed me this report and said, do a news story. This report is out. Right, right. What, well, so take us back. Tell us about the rampage. What was what was the staff like? What was what was the experience in back in the day? Okay, so I'm taking you back to like 1983, and uh, I, actually, I was so very very lucky because I went to a public high school, Rockville High School, um, and we had an incredible journalism teacher who had won like all of these awards. And I thought he was so old back then. And I look back, he was like 25, you know, when I was like 16, <laughs> and um, he really really pushed us. He wanted this newspaper to be like the the best thing ever in the whole world. And Montgomery County was a pretty like competitive. Uh, school district. So he had tryouts for the newspaper. So it was like if you wanted to be on the football team or the baseball team, you had to try out to be on the newspaper. So it became sort of this weirdly competitive thing. And he would assign the same story to three different freshmen and then pick whoever's story was best. And that's who 
you know, got to be the reporter. So it was like, oh, such an honor to make the team, you know what I mean? And and you kind of worked your way up from, I think that story was in the inside, like B3 or, or whatever, and you had, you know, it was like a contest. to That wasn't time, a front pager? Right, can you imagine? <laughs> By the time I'm a senior, I want to be on the front page, you know, so. Wait, so were you a freshman? I was a sophomore. You were right, a sophomore. Right. Yeah. Did you try out? Freshman year or no? We didn't have freshmen. Like our school was weird. Our school had freshmen, but I didn't come till I was a sophomore. Oh, I Because it was a choice so, for ninth hey, grade. You made it so your there were some. Year. Yeah, I made it okay. my first year. So um, how big a staff? Do you remember? We had. People? I think we had about a hundred kids on the staff. Wow, and that's pretty good. We came out once wow. a month, and um, we printed at a local newspaper. So back in the day, shout out to the old timers. You know, we rolled the pages with wax and cut them out with exacto knives and pasted them on non-reparable blue paper. And yeah, my yeah. senior year, we got computers. So we actually had color and computer layout by I graduated in 1985. So it was kind of a, an interesting evolution of newspapers to be part of back then. You're dating yourself, yeah. I know. So K-Pro you, 2000. Typed on. <laughs> um, so you've said before that you were inspired by Watergate and thinking about writing wrongs and so forth. So when you were in high school, are you thinking this is how Bob Woodward started? I mean, is that in your head? Oh, I, I didn't even think I could ever be Bob Woodward, but I, I wanted to like find out what was wrong and, and tell everybody about it, you know, and, and inside our high, our high school got a lot of props for being like this great high school. And I was like, I know there's nefarious things going on that I must expose. <laughs> um. I, just for the record, I mean, this is a high school paper. I was I was going to say my first byline was a story about who made the varsity cheerleading squad, and that was riveting. It was a riveting story. Lots uh, of people probably read that one, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, their mothers did. I think that was it. Um, okay, we're moving on to an early story from the pilot, her pilot days. And Lane tried to give me stories that we worked on together as evidence of her fledgling days, but trust me, those were pretty good. Uh, pre- At least compared to the rampage. <laughs> I was going to say pre-Pulitzer days, but still pretty good. But um, here's one from 1992, um, and that would be, what, so seven years into your career? No, wait, you're graduating? No, that's earlier. Yeah, like, that's about three years in. Three years into your career. I was 25. Okay, so this one's headlined, Butterflies Pay Late Visit to the Outer Banks. And it's been cut out and put into one of those old photo album pages with the stickum and plastic. So did, was this you put cutting them out or is this... Yeah, actually, I didn't save a lot of my stories back then, but this is the first one that had a Lane DeGregory byline. So it was in the back oh, of my wedding album. Oh, I see. Okay, so, so this is back, the very first Lane DeGregory, right? Yeah, this is, I came back from my honeymoon, and they, I had to do a news story. Okay, so, so let's let's hear some early, this is the first Lane DeGregory byline. I, I should actually say, too, I was writing like three stories a day back then. Yeah, so there yeah, wasn't yeah. like a Come whole on. lot of thought going into this. Come okay. on. Butterflies are making a return. Come on. Front page news, baby. They should be bright green cocoons suspended beneath low-lying leaves and waiting for spring before shedding their silky shells. But hundreds of thousands of cloudless sulfur butterflies couldn't wait. Fluttering by fields, nipping at nectar, and diving behind dunes, they burst forth throughout eastern Virginia and northeastern North Carolina this month, eager to test their delicate yellow wings in the warm autumn air. Quote, there have been more of them this fall than any year I remember, said Virginia Tech research scientist Mark Kofel. So you really liked alliteration back then? I was very high on alliteration. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was very fancy. By then I thought, oh, maybe I can write. You can tell I'm I'm, trying. You're trying. I'm testing my wings. You are. You're (laughs) testing your wings. So how long did it take you to get out of the, quote, ping pong? You know, like the fact, quote, fact, quote, fact, quote. Mm, 
I want to say probably three or four years until Ron Spear became my editor. I, right. I had and a then, good editor who came in who was a writing coach there, and he was kind of like, yeah, if their quote says it, you don't need to say it. If right. you're going to say it, your quote doesn't need to say it. And then all of a sudden I, was, I had more room to write because right. I wasn't all jammed up with quotes. Then would you feel like you were following a formula almost? Yeah, it felt like that a lot, especially when I was doing it on Denlet. I almost felt like I was an autopilot a lot of times. Right. You know, I would spend a lot of time thinking about the lead in my car on the way back to start typing. But after that, it was just like, what information do I have to get out? And I only have an hour to write it. Yeah. yeah. So just for fun, if you had that assignment today, I wanted you to think about, like, how you would approach it. What would you do if they said, boy, the butterflies are playing a visit? I think I would have gone. There was a really pretty botanical garden there on the Outer mm-hmm. Banks that had all these. It was an Elizabethan garden with Shakespeare flowers and stuff. And I think I probably would have gone and just set a scene there and talked to the people who were admiring the butterflies instead of me just telling you, like, hey, they're back, you know, and then, like giving you more of a scene. This is just really, really general. You know, right. this is super general. But there was a specific scene I could have gone and sat at for an hour and probably got right. a whole lot more interesting frame for it. I think it's important to, like, you know, if a lot of folks who are listening to us are, are, you know, especially younger in your career. I mean, you've had to work at craft, right? You know, like you're not, you're obviously a gifted writer, but, you know, you came up like everybody else, you know, doing these news stories that yeah, felt formulaic or felt like you were just, you're trying to get across information. They weren't necessarily great storytelling stories. And then you kind of worked toward building those muscles and moving in that direction. It wasn't like, you know, you're getting to do that from the get-go. And yeah, no, and I, I didn't, A, I didn't think I could do that, and B, I didn't even really know I wanted to do that. I was just so excited to write for a paper. You to know, get a byline. Get a byline about whatever it was, and to be able to do it on deadline where, oh, you get this assignment at 2 o'clock, and you got to turn it in by 5 o'clock, and like, the terror of the right. moment, you know. But it was all back then. To me, it was much more about getting the information out and getting the information right. What did Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Readers need to know and why do they need to know that instead of engaging them in some kind of a, a narrative tale, you know? So you, did you feel like you weren't really working at craft early on? I feel like I was working much more at, at the reporting and the dissemination of information. I wasn't thinking about... Just making about, clear. Yes. Making clarity, going for clarity. And not getting it wrong. Right. Um, like I said, I, I worked on the leads a lot. You know, I would want to draw people in to make them you know, want, want to read the rest of the story. But most of the stories were 10 or 12 inches long, too. So it wasn't like a whole lot of investment, you know. Well, so let me suck you into reading the rest of this, baby. Um, okay, we've talked before in an earlier podcast about some of the things you would tell your young self, right? And you said you'd wish you'd taken more risk with your writing early on and let yourself experiment. Um, and... Yeah. What? <laughs> Go ahead. You're, you're thinking. Oh, you would see. You did take some risks early on. Go ahead. You want to. You no, want to uh, hit them up with that one. That when was... I did, I wasn't sure it worked, so I didn't do it very often back then. <laughs> Go ahead. Do your Dr. Seuss. But it, yeah, at a certain point. So this was seven years later, where I guess I kind of felt like I should try something right early, and especially at that point in time, it became like 
I can do the rote assignments. I'm not worried, you know, after seven About years. the basic ones. Yeah, I can get the information. I can put it together. So when I would get, like, the crappiest assignments would be the ones I'd be like, oh, I can't go wrong with this. I got to try something different, you know. So the Outer Banks where I lived um Tidewater, Virginia, was a very, uh, like, touristy area. And I guess during the last part of August, it had rained a lot because I got this assignment, like, what do you do with children vacationing on the beach in the rain? Like, that was literally, That's like, riveting. go yeah, out too, and yeah. do a, sto- a daily story on that. Ooh. So it, I, I tried to be, like, Dr. Seuss doing a cat in the hat story. Um, and you can laugh at me if you want because I laughed when I read this. <laughs> <laughs> Five days of rain, five days of wind. When will this horrible bad weather end? (laughs) School starts on Tuesday. There is no more summer. This whole last week has been one big bummer. They wanted to skate. They wanted to swim. They wanted to climb on the park jungle gym. But they've had to stay in with movies and games. By Friday, everyone needed a change. (laughs) Was that nominated for a Pulitzer? (laughs) I think this was almost there. Then I go into the obligatory quote, you know, some Chesapeake dad says, I had to get them out of the house. That's where it morphs to from my Dr. Seuss beginning to the stupid quote from the <laughs> Chesapeake dad, Mike Wilde, said of his three daughters who he took to Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I think I, 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 so many times over the years where somebody has taken a chance on something, and then people criticize it. And then you think, but there's just, we do a gazillion boring stories that nobody even pays any attention to. And, of course, no one's going to criticize those because you didn't go on a plank, out on a plank. You know, you just kind of did the whatever, something basic. And so, anyway. I what, think some of those, I, you, you end up trying to amuse yourself a little bit. You right, know what I mean? Like, right. how many of these same stories can you do? Like, I got to tickle me. I <laughs> hope my editor stops me from, like, embarrassing myself. <laughs> You said you um, you wish you had gotten sunburned on more boats and done fewer phoners. And I, I think, I mean, I think that's a really good lesson for even in this day and age. I think we, we spend so much time at our desks trying to get information out of people and so much is at our fingertips. Like back in the day, not to date us, but we had to go places a lot of times. But you're... You're feeling like you could have even gone out more. Like oh, yeah, because I feel like a lot of them, you could get what you needed with a phone call and a quote over the phone. Right. You know, if you were going to go somewhere and, and be with somebody, you had to first get their permission, you know, get their mm-hmm. buy-in for it. Right. You need to drive, you know, whether it's 15 minutes or an hour and a half, it's taking up another amount of time you could be writing, Right. you know, on a daily deadline. So it, it takes, you got to be willing to put more of yourself out there, I think, you know, and, and immerse yourself in these worlds that you're trying to, to tell, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, another great point you make, which I love, is not feeling like you have to know what the story is before you report it. Or maybe not, you know, you can go in with an idea, but not necessarily get locked into that idea. Yeah, and I think especially when I was young, um, I would get an assignment from, my, I got much many more assignments from my editors than I was coming up with on my own, which sort of eventually prompted me to go like, okay, if you think their ideas are crappy, come up with your own ideas, right. Lane. Find something better, you know. Right. Um, but I think I felt so beholden to what the editor said the story was going to be or what the editor wanted or expected that I often didn't think outside that box or I wasn't willing to like take that turn you know when I saw the story was shifting or there was another path I could follow I was like no blinders on the editor mm-hmm. says I must you know follow this so it was not wanting to challenge their ideas um, and not trusting my own instincts. When did you realize you had like when did you feel like you were really a writer when you had that did you have, was it an aha moment? Did you have like a... Yeah, I, I actually remember the story where I thought like, oh, I can really write this story. Like, um, And it was Ron Spear. We had a wonderful editor who'd been an AP war correspondent, you know, back from the 40s. He was probably 
70 by the time he became my editor. And uh, Red suspenders all the time. Red suspenders, a big belly, a mustache that always had food that he ate for lunch in it, and just like the <laughs> kindest human being in the history of the world. He looked like Wilfred Brimley. He, he did. You know? He was such a character. Yeah. And he spoke with his hands a lot, which I do. But he, he made me feel like I could write. And I think we talked about this on previous podcasts, but he would take my notes away and mm-hmm. say, tell me a story. Make it sing. You know, and he'd do these like opera director things with his hands, like, make it sing for me, Lane. And um, he he was much more willing to. The previous editor was all about like three news stories a day. You mm. know, we got to cover every little increment of everything that happens. And Ron was much more like, let's find a good story. You know, let's get you on the front page. Let's let's go beyond these meetings. And you know, so I was covering commercial fishing, and I heard about this uh, old fisherman who his boat was always the first one. Um, out of the Oregon Inlet. They would go out in like a big fleet of fishing boats at dawn every morning. And someone told me that Omi Tillett every morning when the sun came up from the Atlantic would say a prayer on the microphone and all the fishermen on the, would turn into their radios and pray with him or at least listen to him pray as they were heading out to sea. And so I pitched this at Ron. There was a whole bunch of commercial fishing stories going on there with regulations and fights with recreational fishermen and stuff. And I was like, can I, can I go watch the sunrise with Omi Tillett? He was like, absolutely, get there early, stay there late, you know, do what you need to do. And, and so I felt like that was probably the very first story that I went to tell as a scene, not because some news event was happening, you know. And did, that, did that make it onto the front page? It did make it onto the front page. And I can't recite the lead, but it was the first lead that I really, really liked that I wrote, that I felt like I nailed this lead. And I went back a couple of years ago and like almost 30 years later, it was still hanging on the wall at Omi's. Uh, restaurant, and oh, that was so nice. that was so gratifying. But yeah, that was that was the first one I felt like I got this writer part, you know. But that was really about the ideas and taking control of the ideas. I think so, and feeling like I was trusted mm-hmm. to like he. Ke- I remember he kept saying, "Use your senses, use your senses," you know. And I had like three days to write it instead of three hours, mm-hmm. you know. So that felt special and different. Yeah. Well, and I wonder. I think a lot of young writers probably. You know, they're they're taking assignments because people are trying to fill up the website, the paper, whatever, and um, and probably would be really willing to get more ideas coming at them. But, uh, you know, I mean, like in the absence of them, people are going to fill up your time. And I, I started feeling up about it, like, so like I said, this is maybe seven years into my career getting paid besides, you know, internships and the Rockville Rampage. <laughs> but I felt like Woo-hoo. by then it was like... If I can write you three or four or five really good news stories this week, I can ask for a day or two off next week to report a story I want to report. You right. know, like I sort of feeling like a trade-off, like I did my chores, now can I go play? <laughs> um, which leads us to one of the other points you make, which is you wished you had been okay with trying things that might not work. It was okay to fail, right? You still feel that way? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was much easier to fail when you were writing, you know, 300 stories a year than when you're writing three. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like there's much more pressure on me now. My stories, I take a lot longer time. I have many more eyes on the page. I right. have much more at stake now. I, I wouldn't. That's why I don't mind going back and doing these little encounters sometimes where it's like you just spend a day or two. And if it works, it's great. And if it doesn't work, right. it's still OK. Right. I don't think people feel that liberation most of the time, though, like that it's okay if it's not perfect or it's not, you know. Well, and there's a certain thing about your byline being on it, too. You right. know what I mean? Like, it, like I, I don't I don't mind crap as much when other people write it as when my name's going to go on it. And I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to be a writer. Why did I come up with that crap, you know? 
Did you ever have a moment when you were coming up where you just thought, I, no, I'm not sure this is, I, I'm not sure this is the career for me, or I just, I feel like, no, I'm not sure I'm going to get it. Did you have a moment like that, or did you just always feel like that you, you know, you were on a path and you would get better and better? No, I was on my way out till you rescued me, my friend. You were out. I was on my way out. I, I, they made me be an editor. I was like, thirty. And I had a baby, like, I don't know, around like nine or ten months old. And then I got pregnant again right away. And they were like, oh, you can't cover commercial fishing. You can't go on boats. You can't go hang gliding. You can't go bungee jumping. We don't want you sitting at the courthouse, you know. I, so I think it, there's an EEOC suit there. Yeah, in this guise of, like, <laughs> trying to protect me, it was like, we'd like you to be an editor, you know. We'll pay you more money, and you can run this little magazine. And, and so they made me an editor, and I, it was like a little weekend entertainment guide for tourists, you know, on the Outer Banks. But I had no staff. And so I'm like 30, and I had these correspondents who were like 50, 60 years old who couldn't write to save themselves. And I was supposed to, like, turn, you know, Fisherman Damon into, like, some column every week and Artist Mary Ellen into some column every week. And it was really hard, and I wasn't getting to write. And I just was like, I don't want to do this anymore, like, if this is my future. You were writing when we met, though, right? You, you no, I back came off of being an editor. Oh, really? Yeah. I was writing, like, one story a week. I was writing the cover story of that little magazine. Okay. So I had my son and my second son, I had him in March. And then I went back to work in Easter, I remember. So it was, like, maybe a month because I had to put this magazine out that started for the summer tourists coming at Easter. And then I edited this magazine. And I wrote a couple, thank goodness, I wrote a couple cover stories that summer for the magazine. We had one, like, feature or historical feature. A lot of them were. Mm -hmm. Um and then in, like, August, you posted this opening for a narrative writing team, and I was like, it's oh, exactly what I want to do. It's exactly what I want to do. And since I had done some of those cover stories, I had some clips to send you because I had never really done much of that before. You're saying that all these years later you could have been a niche publication editor. Yeah, that's kind of where my, my work – I'd written a travel book. You know, I was totally going to become more of a technician type uh, person, and it wasn't – rocking my boat so thank just, goodness you put a writer's just, wanted poster up in the bureau just for the record editing doesn't suck that bad <laughs> i sucked at it that bad no i sucked at it that bad all right any other last bits of advice when you i mean when you think back are you like i mean it's it's obviously it feels like um probably pretty good mountain to climb right from the start yeah but i, I think you know i i have friends and co-workers who came into this business a little bit later like later through college or maybe even after college right. a little bit and i felt like i even though i sucked and <laughs> i did it so much in high school and, and college you know i was right. writing a, a story right. a week a story a day that it, it, a lot of that like physical memory you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't think that ever hurts to, to know I can go shag a quote and put a story out in an hour, to know where to go to the courthouse to get documents, to know how to cover up a police incident. You know, mm -hmm. I was real comfortable doing that hard stuff by the time I ever got paid for it. And I I, I appreciate paying my dues young for that. Cause and I it felt was like, fun, right? It was fun. It was exhilarating. And I didn't really want any more back then. I was just like, woohoo, I'm in the paper. <laughs> I didn't get a correction. <laughs> Very different uh, goals. <laughs> Okay, so we really hope you're inspired by those early, early works of Lane to Gregory. <laughs> okay. You don't suck that bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you have a question for Lane about any of her stories or would like to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next episode. This podcast was produced by Denise Keenan. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.